0: Luke 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high.
1: Life's big events are always worth sharing, aren't they? I remember when I got married sort of four and a bit years ago, I was just glowing for days, for months. I just couldn't wait to tell everyone, I was showing pictures to everyone about my, you know, my new wife. I just so excited about that. Again, when my uh, firstborn Izzy was born, I remember when we got her home from the hospital and as soon as we got out, I just grabbed her and went and showed all my neighbours because I was so excited about the fact that I was a dad. when something really big happens, we just love showing it to other people, don't we? Whether it's the, the photos of the grandkids uh, or telling the people about what we've done at school or at work. Uh, when we achieve something great or something great has happened, we just love sharing it with other people. Because it's special to us and we don't want others to miss out on that, that news. But after a while, uh, the sheen kind of fades a bit, doesn't it? Uh, the glow disappears and we're just sort of left assuming on the great things that have happened to us in the past. We lose the buzz of what once captured and amazed us. Things that once made us want to burst with joy are sort of now just everyday occurrences. Uh, Things that once we couldn't stop talking about now just sort of are there in the background of our lives. Uh, This morning we're talking about the resurrection. Something that incredibly can seem pretty mundane to Christians if you've been a Christian for a while. The exciting thing is this morning we get the chance to look at the resurrection anew as we see the disciples grappling with this massive event as they battle with the reality of Jesus alive in front of them. So in the passage this morning we see the disciples as they've just had their friends tell them that he's risen and they can't believe it which I guess is sort of fair on them so that in the room you've got three guys who've seen him alive and no one else has And so as we look at the passage this morning, try and put yourself in the shoes of those who haven't seen the risen Christ uh, and and grapple with that. Uh, So you're standing in the room, you've got friends telling you, and then suddenly Jesus appears. Uh, It sounds pretty unbelievable. Have a look in verse 36 of your Bibles. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. The disciples are freaked out. Uh, They think they're seeing a ghost. The video had that really well displayed, uh, which is totally understandable, isn't it? Uh, Someone you know who's dead appears in front of you in a room. I guess you've got two options, maybe, as to what's going on. They're either a ghost uh, or they're resurrected. And you would kind of go with the ghost, I reckon. I reckon you'd go with ghosts because everyone's heard of ghost stories. We're kind of, you know, we're we're familiar with those. And people don't just rise from the dead. Death's pretty final. Uh, Everyone has died. And so the disciples are freaked out and they can't believe that Jesus is actually in front of them. They think that he's a ghost. And so Jesus then seeks to prove to them that he really is alive in front of them again. Verse 38. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus says, guys, what's the big deal? Why can't you understand that it's really me standing in front of you? Uh, Then firstly, he offers his physical body as proof that he isn't a ghost and that he's resurrected. Uh, I guess ghosts can't have flesh and bones. And then he holds out his hands and feet that would have been scarred by the crucifixion to show that he's not just some imposter, but that he's really himself, their friend Jesus, who was crucified and has risen from the dead. But that doesn't seem to be enough yet. The disciples are like starting to get it, but you'll see there in the next verse that they couldn't believe it because of joy and amazement. That feeling where you know something in your mind is true, but your emotions are playing catch-up. Uh, it's, it's the same with when, when Isabel was born again. I remember over and over again just checking with Maren that we were actually parents and that we weren't just imagining this. It was kind of like, are you sure? I'm, I'm sure something got mixed up here. We can't be parents. But So you have to keep looking at the proof sitting in front of you. And that's the kind of the headspace that disciples are in. They just can't believe that Jesus is really alive in front of them. And so Jesus offers them another proof that he is resurrected. He asks for a bit of lunch. Verse 41, And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I'm not sure I would have chosen broiled fish as my first post-resurrection meal, but there it is. Jesus has different tastes to me, I guess. Uh, Jesus has eaten something and proven a second time to them that he really is alive. He's not just some ghost, but he's physical and resurrected, that he is the Jesus that they followed around for the past few years. Uh, What great news for the disciples. Uh, their, Their leader is alive again. But they still must be in a bit of shock or something because Jesus just doesn't leave it there. But he actually explains to them why it's such a big deal that he's resurrected, and why it's such a big deal for everyone. Verse forty-four. He said to them, "This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms." Then he opened their minds that so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, "This is what is written." The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus, who is called the Messiah, uh, his death and resurrection were all part of God's plan to fix the problem with this world. His death and resurrection fulfill all that was written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, uh, which is another way of speaking about the Old Testament. And this is much the same we heard last week, isn't it? When Jesus was telling the two disciples on the road to Emmaus why he had to die. Last week, his explanation was all about the fact that he needed to die to be glorified and made the king. This week, his explanation helps us to understand why his death and resurrection really matters to everyone in the whole world. It's an unbelievable and amazing truth because Jesus' death and resurrection actually came to solve the problem of this world. I mean, we all know the big problem with this world and that is that it's broken. It's incredibly obvious to most of us. We can see it in our broken countries that are at war and fighting with each other often. Uh, We saw it in the video this morning where kids were starving uh, and not having food or even shoes. We can see it in the unfairness at work maybe. We can see it in our broken relationships and families around us. We can see it in our failing bodies. We can see it in sickness and death. We can see the brokenness of this world everywhere. In the Old Testament, it diagnoses this brokenness and it says that it's caused by people's sin. And sin isn't just doing sort of naughty stuff now and again, but at its heart, sin is choosing to break our relationship with God and in doing this, we have broken our world. See, in the beginning, God made the world and it was good and it worked in a certain way and there was peace and there was health and there was life. But when a part of the system breaks, well, the whole thing stops working. When a cog in a clock breaks, the clock doesn't keep on telling the time properly, but it all stops. And so it was with us and the world. We broke our relationship with God, uh, and so we broke the world. We said to God, it's not, it's not me, God, it's you. I can actually do a better job of running this world than you can, so please go away. We broke up with God and so therefore broke the world. We stopped living like we were made to live and so everything has fallen apart. Is that your experience of the world? I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe you look out and you see all the destruction, but you look at your own life and you think, my life's okay. I don't experience the brokenness of the world or well, other people's lives are broken than your, more broken than your own. You might have a great job, a loving family, the nice house, but I wonder if you've also personally experienced those symptoms of brokenness uh, where you've sort of failed to forgive or to love others as you should. Uh, you've lied to, you lied to others. Uh, all these are symptoms of our broken state. Our relationship with God is broken and so all our relationships are broken and all people are broken. And so that's kind of the background to this passage because the, new, the good news that we've uh, heard now Uh, is that God has fixed all these problems in Jesus. God repairs the relational damage that we've caused with him when we broke up. Uh, Let's have a look again at verse 46. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, people had no true hope of being forgiven or right with God. But Jesus comes to solve this uh, firstly, by paying the repair bill for us, for us for breaking the world and our relationship with God. See, the punishment that we deserve for breaking our relationship is death, and that's the death that we experience within this broken world. Now The world is messed up and it's our fault. We told our Creator and God to get lost, and in the end have found ourselves lost in death. But the great news of the resurrection and the death of Jesus is that he has paid the penalty that we deserve through dying on the cross in our place. So Jesus' death deals with the penalty we deserve and takes the anger of God away onto himself so that our relationship is restored. And so that's what the death does for us. Uh, But why is the resurrection itself so important for us? Couldn't he just have stayed dead and still paid the penalty? Well, no. If Jesus had just died, he would have just been another dead guy in the ground and we'd still face death as a consequence of living in a broken world And being broken ourselves. Because his resurrection actually defeats death and deals with that so that we might, so that while we might die in this world, we will one day be resurrected like Jesus was. Death is no longer the final point that we all head to, but like Jesus, we will be resurrected to new life in the end. And that's amazing news. In the midst of this broken world, we can have hope of new life. A new life that means we'll no longer see the broken world around us, but live whole lives, joyful lives, all in a personal relationship with our creator, God. We'll be able to turn on the news, and rather than seeing all the refugee crises and war going on, we'll see a loving God and a faithful people who serve him. Now, this life won't be realised now, but when Jesus returns. But it's a great hope that we can look forward to in the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection opens a way back to God for us broken people. And this is great news and must have been amazing news for the disciples. And it definitely changed their lives dramatically. The rest of their lives were shaped by the news of this resurrection and how they would respond to it. You'll see there that the first change people are called on to make as they hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus is to repent and then be forgiven. See, while Jesus has paid this penalty for death, uh, penalty and defeated death and made our way back to God possible, uh, we can't just go on living our lives as if nothing has changed and keep going, no thanks God, I'm alright. I'll keep doing things my own way. But when he's offered us free forgiveness and so we must turn to him, repent of our broken ways, do a 180 and begin walking his way with God. In response to the good news of the free gift of life found in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we need to turn away from our broken way of doing things and turn to God. And so that's the first massive change that we all need to make in our lives. But it's not the only change that the resurrection should make in our lives. It should also make us respond like those first disciples did and see that this message, this great news of repentance and forgiveness of sins is preached to all nations. Verse 47... And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Uh, We can personally testify, can't we, to the fact that the disciples took Jesus seriously at this command. The disciples' lives were so changed by the resurrection that they did exactly what he told them and preached repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. And so as they preached, uh, they made disciples and then these disciples preached and more disciples were made. So that 2,000 years later and nearly 13,000 kilometers away, uh, we meet together as God's people celebrating the resurrection of the King, uh, remembering this world, this same world changing event. As disciples, as the disciples preached, others like Luke wrote down the story for us. So that for generation after generation, we might have confidence in the resurrection and that it might shape and change our lives too. See, the resurrection, uh, the biggest event in the world, has changed the disciples' lives. It's changed millions, if not billions, of other lives since then because humanity's life, a biggest problem has been solved and so we need to rejoice in that and tell others about it. Yet with this amazing news, uh, that the, the world's problems have been solved in the resurrection, isn't it tragic that it can get a bit of hold hat for us? Uh, it's been a massive rebuke for me as I've tried to write this talk uh, of, of how I think about the resurrection and how it sort of has just become every, an everyday occurrence, uh, not the, the, the world-changing event that it should be in my life. Uh, it should shape every aspect of our lives just as it shaped every aspect of the disciples. Uh, and we should be telling everyone about it as well. I mean, if you're here today as a Christian, the resurrection has radically transformed your life. It has brought us life where there was only death. It has given us hope in the midst of a broken world where there is only sorrow. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are able to once more know God and be friends with him. The resurrection is the biggest event in all our lives. It's bigger than getting married, than having kids. It's bigger than graduating, than getting a job, than money, than success. The resurrection is the biggest thing in the world. So why do we find it so hard to talk about? I find it hard to talk about, and I'm sure many people here this morning find it hard too. Yet it is only through the preaching or the speaking of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins that people can have their broken relationships healed, their broken relationship with God healed, and so we need to be those who tell them about it. It's only as others who we love hear the good news of the resurrection that people will come to have life. So how do we overcome this fear or laziness of talking about the resurrection with others? Well, by God's grace, we have the Spirit within us. Now, that's what God is talking about when He talks about. Oh, sorry, that's what Jesus talked about when He says that the promise of God He will send it to us, to the disciples. See, the disciples got the Spirit, and we have Him too. So we should pray that God would help us to get excited about the resurrection, and have love others by telling them about it. Uh, If, for you, the desire is there, but the confidence is lacking, uh, a powerful way that we can tell others about the effect of uh, the resurrection is we can tell them about how it's changed our lives, uh, like Merrin was doing this morning. God has done amazing things in your life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so tell others about it. Uh, And we can also have confidence because we have the Holy Spirit who is the one working in us, using our humble and weak words to powerfully shape the lives of others. We need to be bold and we need to speak of how the resurrection has changed our lives because it's the biggest event in them and so we want others to know about it too. The resurrection is the greatest event in the world. Uh, it's the greatest event in our lives. Uh, it should be the greatest event in our lives, of uh, the lives of everyone that we know. The disciples gave up their lives so that they could tell others about the good news of Jesus and we have them to thank that we know about that. So let us have the resurrection change our lives like it did them. Uh, Let us repent and be forgiven and then tell everyone we know about the resurrection. Uh, But we're not going to be able to do that unless the spirit works within us. So would you please pray with me about that? Heavenly Father, we are sorry that we can be blasé uh, about the fact that you sent your only son to come and die and rise again and that through doing that, he he has solved the problem with this world. Father, we're sorry that we can just sort of assume that and that can often not affect our whole lives. Father, please would you work your spirit mightily within us, help us to understand the way that the resurrection has changed our lives and that you would give us confidence and a boldness and a desire to tell others about that good news. Father, for those that we speak to and those that we love, would you soften their hearts? Would you help them to understand their core problem? Would you help them to repent that they might be forgiven too? thanks to the death
0: and resurrection of Jesus. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.